Friends, welcome to another episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. We are back talking about how to surf the Dow. This is lesson 11 out of 12. We're getting to the home stretch. How to surf the Dow. Today, we are talking about how to teach the Dow. If up till now we've been trying to figure it out, what it is, uh, what is the way to the way, how to stay on the way, how to surf the way, well, now we're going to try to figure out how to let other people figure out how to do it too, to bring them along for the ride. So come along for the ride. We're so glad you're with us. Here we go. All ahead full. Well, this has been a wild academic year, baby. <laughs> it sure has. It's, Living on campus. Yeah, it's starting to kind of wind up and come to a close. Uh, but it's been really interesting this year because here we had, you know, last summer, if, if we were able to open, there were some things that we had in our minds that we would do for programming and what that might look like. And then we kind of had to like, cast a lot of that aside or at least change the formatting of how we were going to do some of this stuff, right? We kept thinking that COVID would be resolved midsummer. <laughs> we were we were hopeful. Well, I mean, people were in general saying, "Oh, well, maybe we'll have commencement, you know, in August." Mm-hmm. Or, "Okay, well, we'll just push back the start of the semester by a couple weeks, or or whatever." Right. And you know, we're still dealing still dealing with it. Though uh, it was nice the other day, we were able to volunteer to help get students vaccinated and yes. staff. So yep. we're seeing that happening, and uh, and so hopefully. You know, next year will be a whole different year. And you yourself are finished with your vaccinations, uh-huh, and I'm halfway done. Yep, I'll be yep. complete this weekend. So, but but yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy one, and so you know, we didn't necessarily get to everything we wanted to get to this year, especially for the podcast. But we did have a lot of opportunities for interviews, things that came up on that kind of a uh, little bit of a theme there, where we were talking about friends, old and new, and part of that were just engaging or re-engaging some of those friends for a variety of reasons in our own Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that COVID did bring us was that everybody knows how to use Zoom. <laughs> so, that's part of it, yeah. <laughs> so that before it was kind of complicated, you know, to do either some kind of Skype or Zencaster and kind of explain how, you know, how this is all going to work for the recordings. But now that everybody, everybody is familiar with do. Zoom. I uh, can't say I love the audio quality for all my favorite podcasts, including this, this one, because I, I've always found that an interview in person with these headsets on when we travel out to meet people that tends to be the best because you get to really you know you see people right there yeah. there's that human touch but it's it's a close second it's a close second and it and it sure helps us to be able to bounce all the way around we were in lebanon yeah <laughs> yeah you know new mexico we can go anywhere on a weekend you know Right. And so I think, yeah, that was one of the things is having to let go of what we thought things would look like, but then embracing some of the the advantages too that, you know, like I said, everybody has Zoom and, and that we yeah. could, you know, have these other conversations and, and really offer for the students. It was a really good thing that, you know, they didn't have sometimes other areas in their lives that they could meet outdoors in group settings and talk with professors and things like that, especially if you didn't go to uh, you know, a college like ours that was able to, you know, keep people here on campus. In limited numbers, but certainly, certainly it was, uh, it was a delight. And I think that's, that's really what this, this 
lessons about. Right. When we're learning how to surf the Tao, we, we need to learn how to not be rigid. We need to be able to flex. Yeah. If you wish that you could only teach students in a regular classroom, you're out of luck. So what are you going to do? You're either <laughs> right. going to not teach or you're going to do it. Right. Um, or, or, or you're going to fight against the reality of it and yep. be frustrated every time that you are, you know, going ahead and, and teaching an online course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't do it. You do it. Or you could, you know, have a miserable time of it. So one of the one of the things that was really nice about this year at the college was we were able to start this thing called the Quibono Cast, which is basically a podcast feed of those conversations we were having. We probably wouldn't have done that had yeah. we not been faced with the unique year that we had. Right, because some of the students were still at and you know participating from you know Zoom or online, and some were in person, and so you recorded those conversations to allow them to be able to listen in. And some, and a lot of times our family members joined right, in. Shared and, it with the larger yeah, world. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, that's, that's just one of many applications, but that's the application that we don't want to be so rigid that we're brittle. Yeah. You know, should fragile. I go, should I go ahead and read chapter 22? Yeah. Tao Te Ching, chapter 22. Bend and you won't snap. Flow and you'll stay on course. Become empty and receive fulfillment. Die to your old self, and you'll find life. The littlest things can become the greatest treasures. Meanwhile, those who hoard too much become distracted. Thus, the sage, grasping the unity of all things, becomes an example for others. And still, she is no show-off. This makes her remarkable. Since she doesn't need to assert her authority, many revere her. Since the sage is not prideful, she can be proud of her life. Since she's not focused on promoting her legacy, her legacy lives on. Since the sage doesn't play games, no one can beat her. There's an old adage, surely she who flexes with life is unbreakable. Is this just a cheap cliche? No. Trust that you really can let everything go. Do this and you'll receive everything back and then some. Lots here. Some of these chapters are shorter. This one's a little longer. Of course, that first line is so perfect, bend and you won't snap. That's obvious in nature, Mm -hmm. but pretty hard as parents and leaders. Parents and leaders tend to want to do it their way. They've come to figure out a way that they think works and they want to make sure everybody's on board with it. Right. And if we cling too tightly to that, stuff snaps. <laughs> <laughs> well, and one of the, the images that really just stands out in my mind, and I, I believe I talked about this when I did my reflection, but is the idea that, you know, out here in California, we have earthquakes. And so sometimes these, the, well, these tall buildings, they're basically meant to roll and bend with the earthquakes so they right. don't snap. And so you know, I, was in a, I was in a hotel one time, very tall building, and just it swayed so much. And it's really kind of scary when you're in the midst of it, but you realize that's what needs to happen, right? So You want to be swaying. <laughs> you want to be swaying. If you're in a concrete structure that's just way too stiff, those are the ones that kind of come crumbling down. That's so right. Be aware of that and run <laughs> when you can. Yeah, they used to say, don't. No, you got to stop. Get under a table. Mm, not if you're in an old brick building sometimes. <laughs> the, sometimes the get is, the heck out of there. Is, if it's thicker than the table, right? <laughs> nothing, yeah. But, nothing like trying to figure out what you're supposed to do with a given 
calamity as it's happening. <laughs> right. That's why we used to do the drills. But what really strikes me in the first uh, part of this chapter is this idea of d- dying to your old self and finding life. Now, as we're translating this, we are doing this sometimes intentionally uh, in order to build some bridges to Christian idioms. And here I do want to talk about the early Christian church. It's kind of occurred to me recently in some of the, the historical research I've been looking into, and, and you've come along with me as well in this. The more I research the early church, the early Christian movement, mm, first through third centuries, I find that the church was more culty in the good sense at its foundation than we often realize, and it's more culty in the bad sense than we realize today. So can you expand on so I the, would love the to. first sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when I mean by the early church being cultier than, than we sometimes realize mm-hmm. is it would be the kind of thing that if your cousin got into it, you'd be a little nervous, mm. right? You're like, oh, cousin Anne became a Christian. There's a lot that's involved in that. And, mm-hmm. and often when we think about cults as being heavily um, invested kind of movements, these are movements that are high demand. And so, so whenever somebody gets into what we think of as a cult, mm-hmm. sometimes we're not just worried about what they're believing or doing. We're more just worried that their whole lives are going to be wrapped up in this movement. And the early church was that. Well, and, and I think just a few weeks ago, as part of the LCMS liturgy, they, in Acts, they had talked, it talks about how the people sold their belongings and gave them to the followers of Jesus. Yeah. And so if, if you really think about what that looks That's, like, I'm going to go sell my property and my farm and give my money to this crew over yeah. here. And they were saying, you know, that about sounds helping the scary. poor and all that stuff. That does sound like a cult. I mean, it's <laughs> thrilling for a guy like me, that kind of thing. When I say it's culty in the best sense, it's, it, it means something. It is an involved way of life. It is a radical way of life. It is a profound mm-hmm. way of life. It's not just something that you slap on a logo and say, I'm a Presbyterian, you mm-hmm. know, when you're signing up on a form or something, you know, it's not a cultural Christianity. It's not Jesus is your mascot. If you join the early Christian church, you're ready to die. You're ready to go out when people have plague and, and minister to these people and put your own life on the line because you have learned how not to die before you've died. That was kind of the early church's flow. The early church, yes, believed in resurrection, it believed in the afterlife, but it also had this sense that there was a way for the believer to be filled with the spirit and have a new awareness of the world that allowed them not to even think twice about abandoning their old stuff. And this is why, interestingly, last week, our friend Father Trifon, Abbot Trifon, who's an Eastern Orthodox monk up in Vashon Island, up in the Washington state, he was deplatformed from Facebook because Facebook, with good intentions, is trying to not let people have uh, fake names. Yeah, fake identity. Right, so you have to have your real identity. So he, and what he did is he renounced his identity for religious reasons. Right, he has a PhD in psychology. So he's not trying. He has titles. Yeah. He has he has legitimacy, and he renounced all that. He sold all that for a life of pure service to Jesus, mm-hmm. and really, he serves people. Right. 
in the name of Jesus. That's what he does. So that's what the whole church was doing, and it made it difficult, right? So if it's difficult in the 21st century for an Eastern Orthodox monk to operate on Facebook, (laughs) how much more would it have been a problem for young aristocratic daughters to tell their dads, we don't want your name. Yeah. I don't need your estate. Right. And if you do give me your estate, I'm just going to give it to my cult. Well, and the daughters probably aren't getting the estate, right? It's the oldest son usually, right? Well, right, right. I mean, thank you. Yeah. Um, in, I'm thinking of like uh, Perpetua, for instance, a young woman whose who's dad begged her not to, not to stick with this Christian mm. movement. And mm. she was torn apart by beasts, um, you know, as a martyr. Hmm. But how could you do that? You do this because you really are finding this life that is so much more infinitely powerful. Now, when I say that today yeah, the church is more culty, today it's not so much about the, uh, for, for most people, I mean, everybody, there's a thousand different expressions of Christianity plus, right? I mean, there's just so many forms of it. But in many ways, I'm thinking about cultural, mainstream evangelical and mainline denominations in America, it's, well, let's, let's, let's stick with maybe more conservative faith. There's a lot more involved with obeying your parents and being controlled, it seems to me. I mean, that's one of the things we're pushing against. The early church is constantly a threat because it's going to upend people's slavish obedience to parental authorities and cultural authorities and ethnic identity. And now there's this transnational identity, the kingdom of God. Right. And uh, so that was that thing. Now it seems to be more culty in the sense that it You're wants to... Trying to keep to, everybody yeah, in this so-called Control your sexuality, control you in the family, control your patriotism, you know. And, and that's really unfortunate, but they're just different kinds, right? Different kinds of culty. Nonetheless, what I don't want to emphasize there is anything negative. I want to emphasize this idea that the early church, though, was a movement of people that were desperately, I don't know if desperate's the word, but they were profoundly renouncing the old system. And, and uh, sometimes they'd, you know, they'd get out, uh, they'd get baptized naked. Their baptism was death to the old Right. And raising to the new. And uh, and I don't know the extent to which this reflects anything in the first couple centuries of the church broadly, but I do find it interesting that uh, in the so-called Gospel of Thomas, found in the Nag Hammadi Library in Egypt, most of the texts the Gospel of Thomas is found with are uh, a little weirder, but the Gospel of Thomas is kind of like Imagine that a Taoist, you know, or somebody influenced by Lao Tzu was trying to collect all the statements of Jesus that were kind of compatible with that way of thinking. And they drew from a lot of the other synoptic gospels. That's, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So you'll actually see a lot of standard statements of Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas, a few weird ones, but but they're all the ones that would make sense to somebody who kind of thinks about Christianity more in terms of uh, kind of a philosophical awareness of something Mm. that is, I would say, similar to understanding or awareness of the Tao. Anyway, in the Gospel of Thomas, uh, the 37th chapter, there's this interesting, or the 37th statement, you know, there's these statements of Jesus, and um, the disciples say, how do we know when we're really ready, you know, when we're really part of the true kingdom? How do we know when we've figured this out, basically? 
And Jesus says, when you can strip naked and you're not ashamed at all. Mm -hmm. And we read that and we said, well, that's not us. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, but then thinking about it longer, I realized, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, there's obviously context where you definitely don't want to do that, friends, right? Right. Don't be streaking. But the idea, you know, sometimes we'll go up to uh, when we're traveling, um, we'll hit uh, hot springs. Mm -hmm. And there'll be some hippies, you know, clothing optional. That's not something that we're usually very comfortable with, not so much because we're prudish, but because of deeply ingrained body images Mm -hmm. issues, right? And then you think about it, if if, if you're saying it in, in terms of what... Jesus is said to have said in Gospel of Thomas, um, what that would mean is, can you let go of your ego so much? Can you so truly let go of your ego that you don't care what people think of your physical form? And for most of us, we can't really do that. And so we're still beholden to somebody else's opinion of who we are. Yeah. Well, and so let me me kind of put it this way, because I find this helpful for me to kind of... uh, envision that same concept, that same idea, is that when we are seeking the approval of other people, there's parts of ourselves that we're probably going to hide or yeah. push push down, right? Because we want to make sure that whatever it is that we're molding ourselves into the image of what this other person would like and find acceptable and yeah. want us to be around, you know, so they would want to be around us. And so the more that we are hiding actually who we are, trying to please other people and get their acceptance and approval, then the more I think we actually are denying who, you know, denying our ourself really. And, and I think that, so that there's that piece of it where denying all that that is that needs that approval so that you can freely be who it is that you're meant to be. And there's so and many that's applications. That's where you'll find life. Yeah. That's where you find it not just, you know, you're not just being held back or held down. You're, you can flourish. You can, you know, you can kind of run with what it is that, that you want to do rather than always, hold, you know, holding yourself back in check and just make sure is this going to, you know, is this going to look all right? Do I, do I put on this shirt or how will people think of it? Or just be <laughs> and have fun with wearing the shirt that you're wearing or, you know, whatever yeah. that looks like. And that is really the first step in understanding how to teach the Tao. If you're trying to look good for your audience, you can't help them. Right. If you're trying to be authentic and lead towards the light, lead towards goodness, truth, and beauty, the Tao, Mm -hmm. then it's going to sometimes be startling to others, and you're going to have to be okay with that. What good are you? What good is any prophet that is only saying what other people have already said, Mm -hmm. right? You have to be able to, in humility, come with confidence and boldness towards the rest of the world. And how do we do it, Stacey? You do it through example. Right. So it's not a lot of uh, not a lot of lecturing, although that's what I do for a living. It is primarily an example for others. And I am not saying this to boast. I'm saying this to almost thank you, Stacey, because it's been a tough year. I've had multiple students say to us that they appreciated our example mm. and that that was meaningful to them, even though they couldn't come to all the things. Right. And and they were saying our example of 
loving others. Yeah. And we didn't of, do it for that, but it was like, oh, I see. Well, because, right? because we love them, it flows out of us and what we do. Yes. Because we care about all of the very various students and the student, various student groups. If, if a group is know? being harmed and they're being underrepresented or, or they're not being helped in the way that they could be helped or amplified, well, you know, we want to step in. But the point is, it has been a year where we've had that opportunity because we're living on campus to love mm-hmm. and to engage positively various groups. There's another way we could do it, and that is to simply chide other people for their bigotry or their sexism or their economic disparities. Right. I mean, who? What does that? What does that do? Right. Instead, just just fighting the it good puts, fight. It, it puts people on the defensive whenever you yeah. go and just attack them, and that yeah. That's why also, since the sage doesn't play games, no one can beat her. That's kind of that. You're not even yeah. you're not even playing that game. This is, yeah. You're just modeling the behavior that, yes. that of you, of who you are, right? And right. it flows out of you. It's not a game that you're playing. You're not it's not about being a show off. And so because it because it actually is genuine, it does make that remarkable. It does make I mean when somebody when you see somebody being genuine and, and loving towards all of the people around them. Like when I've seen that in people, I'm like, I want to be like, I want to be closer to that. <laughs> I want to be around those people, you know? And it, it really makes, you know, I really appreciated when we, uh, back in the day when you interviewed Justin Wren and, and just some of the, you know, there's a few folks that we've come across in our lives that were just like, yes, that is what it looks like to model this loving of others. And let's say you mentioned Justin Wren, who um, who who came to campus and picked up a kid with one hand, <laughs> yeah. most lovable uh, Thor-like creature on this earth. But but you know when I talk about Justin Wren, I you know I'll mention that he was an MMA fighter. But what is his legacy? It's not his celebrity. It's his his work with the Mbuti people in right. Congo, giving them life. Making them family, yeah, loving them and becoming family with those people, and more importantly, by the way, teaching others to love instead of just being angry. You know, I mean, it it was hard, but he. But if if you don't know the story, uh, maybe we'll link to it on the protectyournoggin.org show notes. But the the main thing is that he goes in, and there are these these pygmies that are being enslaved by the uh by by bantu people and the bantus are also really poor and he really couldn't solve the problem uh until he dealt with the poverty and the lack of water supply and all those sorts of things so he put in a water uh he they put in wells for the whole community they had reciprocal mutual beneficial relationships with the Bantu so that they didn't have to be slave owners. And I'm never saying anybody has to be a slave owner, but they were in deep poverty as well. And so in that world of scarcity, you could just chide people for being jerks or you could show them a different way. And he invites them in his ministry and his nonprofit organization partners. They invite people to a different way of seeing each other, right? calling them family, calling these people family. And he's taller than the Bantu, right? right? But he's got these short people that are his family. That is a demonstration of the, of the way to surf the Tao. And that's the only way you can get people on board. You've got to romance them to something more beautiful. You can't just, you know, bark at them to get in the right door. Right. I want to throw 
one more comment out there about this chapter before we move on. And it says, since she's not focused on promoting her legacy, her legacy lives on. And I can't think of how many, organ I can think of so many organizations that are attached to a person's name and that when their failures become known, right. then that whole ministry basically right. kind of has to die, right? And it's just kind of tacky. Of course, mm. of course. And so even, or you know, even think of like, you know, Bikram, for instance, yeah. right? So that whole yoga, it is what has pretty much become hot yoga instead, yeah. but they've had to like, in order to continue teaching this yeah. thing, they've had to kind of remove this name of this harmful person from it. Or the Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. 100%. Anytime you see somebody, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't good ministries out there after somebody's name. Maybe it, their that, consultant said that there's name recognition. I don't know. But I'm saying that is the, the scary thing <laughs> when you see a ministry like that is it really does depend on the integrity of the person that the ministry is named after. But again, anybody... <laughs> who, who, who names, wants to, yeah, like is, it's, is, is suspect, right? It's suspect, right? Because <laughs> if you care about a lasting legacy, you're going to die. Yes. And if the legacy is your name, right? Uh, yeah. then maybe that's ego and maybe that's not the Tao yeah. in the first place, yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe let's skip back a couple chapters to chapter 19. Yeah, and I think that we should actually read chapter 19 and 57 at the same time. All right, read them, flow them, and then I will I will sit back and have a beverage. <laughs> this, by the way, is pineapple chili. I am not getting any uh, any endorsements from this, but this is flying embers, hard kombucha, uh, no sugar, no carbs. I'm digging it. <laughs> I will sip and have I'll have a sip of this while you talk. Chapter 19, lay down philosophy and theology, so everyone can be blessed a hundredfold. Lay down virtue signaling and legalism so everyone can recover genuine compassion and begin to really care for one another. Lay down business and profit and there'll be no more thieves. Do you wanna go even deeper? Be authentic, embrace naturalness, lay your whole self down and then you'll calm your restless heart. And then I'm going to continue with chapter 57. When governing, be straightforward. When outfoxing enemies, use cunning. Manage the world by not trying to control it. How do I know this is the way? Like this. The more legalistic and restrictive a regime is, the poorer the people become. When people turn to stocking up on weapons, the country descends into chaos. When people start scheming in a culture, absurdity abounds. When you see rules posted everywhere, it's a sure sign lawlessness is rampant. As a sage once said, I surf the Tao and leave the people to wake up on their own. I rest in tranquility and let the people attain their own alignment. I am not intrusive, yet the people discover abundance. I rest in contentment and let the people discover naturalness for themselves. Well, there it's all at, baby. There it's all at. We can go through a few of these quickly. Lay down in philosophy and theology so everyone can be blessed a hundredfold. This idea of laying down, we've, we've mentioned this in our commentary about this. 
is partly reminiscent of a song written by Allen Ginsberg, Lay Down, Lay Down Your Mountain, mm -hmm. Lay It All Down. And he goes through, as he was singing to the Rolling Stones and Neil Young and everybody that was on this train, <clears throat> he was singing to them and saying, the way that you're going to be better here is by laying these things down as your full identity. Lay down your camera, lay down your songwriting, just for a second, lay this down. And he even says then, lay down God. And at first that always stressed me out, you know, as a, as a person who's interested in theology and religion. Laying down God actually is really important because what he's talking about, I believe, is laying down your concept of God, yes. laying down your constructions and right. fighting about your constructions. And therefore we can be blessed a hundredfold by living in the presence. We can, we can do this by resting in the presence of the presence, you know, instead of trying to grapple for something, you know, hey, look, this, this is the God that I, that I affirm. Now you better affirm this God too. That doesn't get us as far. Right. And well, yes. And so I think that unfortunately it's our preconceived ideas and notions, notions that keep us from actually having eyes to see and ears to hear for real, like what it is, what is the reality of something. There's mention here in chapter 19 of this idea of virtue signaling. And virtue signaling is, as we've seen, pretty unhelpful in our day where you're primarily trying to say, look, look at these, look at these associations I have or, you know, I'm going to focus when it comes to poverty or justice or something on my symbolic support of something. These are not things that we should necessarily avoid, but it has, it has occurred to most people in America these days especially that focusing on just looking like you're virtuous is counterproductive in many cases. And it increase, yeah, increases kind of the anger and the heat, but it doesn't really help. Well, and if it's not, if it's not authentic to you, then people, people aren't. They smell that out. They yeah. sniff that out. They can see it coming from a mile away, right? Your uh, your favorite musician, Mike Love, has kind of given us a take on this. Do you remember when he was talking about you know social media and and kind of the way to to kind of heal the world? I mean, that's kind of what he does. Is he goes out with his music and tries to teach something like the Tao, you know, the the way of the way of Jesus, mm -hmm. in a, you know. Well, and I mean, he basically says, be the change that you seek. Yeah. You, you be that. You and, embody it. And, right. And, you know, and then those who see it, they can, you know, be attracted to it, gather around it, and, you know, become that themselves. You but know? but he's, he's, he's sometimes almost too nice for us, you know, like he's saying, hey, guys, you know, let's, let's, just, let's just love the suffering out of the world. Sometimes... Sometimes I think it's okay to be angry, you know, mm -hmm. do not sin, but, but, uh, but sometimes you need to, sometimes you need to be serious. And sometimes people in certain positions need to, especially that is sometimes you really want to know that the people in charge are not tolerating certain behaviors, abusive behaviors, you know, mm -hmm. but you know, the way to teach the Tao is through this demonstration of a different way yeah. rather than just the theory. It's funny too, with um, social media in general and in and, and COVID, a lot of times, especially earlier on, uh, musicians would do interviews and in live, more live Instagram uh, videos and, and things. And there was another musician who 
there was something they had a guest, he had a guest on and he'd said something like, Oh, don't, you know, don't tell them that. Like you gotta, I've got to keep up this image, you know? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like I saw his music sort of, you know, from that lens of an image. And I mean, I always felt like it didn't feel as authentic to his being as what say Mike love has. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about, uh, is the Mike Love that's a part of... <laughs> we have to say this all the time. Mike Love, the reggae artist, is who we're talking about, not Mike Love from the Beach Boys. <laughs> the Beach Boys, yes. yeah. So, uh, Different guy. Right. So, and then the, so the, there's another thing, too, when, and I mentioned this before, but when a pastor, you know, I was in the narthex, and, and you know, he right before he went out into the congregation, he's like, showtime. <laughs> and I forever saw, you know, that service, you know, uh, and, and his services in a different light after that. As I, a show. As a show. Because, mm-hmm. you, you know, you realize, oh, this is what I couldn't quite necessarily put my finger on, you know, mm-hmm. and that, so that virtue signaling when somebody isn't actually, actually being authentic when, you know, they're presenting themselves. They've just learned obvious. what culturally is the cool thing you're supposed to do yeah. or, or say. But then when it is, when you are doing those things, when you're doing these just gestures, uh, and you know, so-called being nice, but not really feeling it, it does get in the way of what is genuine compassion and really caring for somebody. Yeah, that's that's kind of <laughs> how you have to do it. Now that said, I know we've said this before. One of the things that really is frustrating is the way in which people will also stop other people from making positive change in the world by just saying they're virtue signaling, right? Uh, you know what's worse than virtue signaling? Being a jerk, yeah. being vicious, you mm-hmm. know? So oh, 100%. what you really want to do is be virtuous. Right. Virtue signaling isn't virtue, but but there is a way in which a lot of people, especially in the last while, have said, oh, you're just a social justice warrior, you know, so I don't have to pay attention to you. Yet, well, don't we want social justice though? <laughs> right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So maybe there's an annoying way to do it. And that's what we're saying here we should dispense with because it's not effective, but that's not enough. Just, you know, I'm not really that proud of my fellow citizens who say don't virtue signal and then go about their exploitative lives. Right. 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 <laughs> How about neither of you? Uh, let's move on to something else. And, and also interesting at the end of the, the first dan- stanza we have here in chapter 19, lay down business and profit and there'll be no more thieves. You know, we have come to assume that there's going to be an economy that's either a controlled economy or a market economy. You know, is it a centralized thing like China, especially older forms of, of Chairman Mao's China or Stalinist, Stalinist uh, Soviet Union? Is it a centralized economy or is it, you know, rampant capitalism that's unchecked, you know, laissez-faire? You know, we, we assume that these are the only two ways to go. Mm-hmm. Making a ton of money for the centralized state or making a ton of money for a few individuals and everybody's competing and everybody's struggling. In a way, you could read the Tao Te Ching as being pretty anarchist and libertarian, perhaps even. Mm-hmm. Don't tinker with the economy. And that's true. But that assumes this line, lay down business and profit, because the idea is not that you're not going to have a job. Every culture, there's people who do things. There's jobs that you have. And you make stuff and you perform services. And this makes us happy. This mm-hmm. is part of life, right? You make, a, you make a cool shoe and I've got a bunch of chickens. But I want a shoe. The shoe's worth 10 chickens, but you don't need 10 chickens. You just need one chicken and something else. So money by itself 
isn't a problem. It's just like a token, right? right? It, it can help us to exchange goods and services. It can help, you know, keep the world flowing. Mm-hmm. It's really good. But a money economy or profit motive or the idea that the whole point is to amass and to hoard the money made from gouging other people, that's where things become problematic. And that's where it's it's not surprising, but it's ironic that every time there's a, there's a riot related to racial injustice, people freak out almost as much about property being destroyed as anything else. Somebody gets killed and everybody's worried about the businesses getting smashed. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think we should be smashing businesses, but that God of mammon in America is a pre- pretty amazing thing. It's not just in America. Same thing happened. There were, there were riots related to the coal mining industry under Margaret Thatcher in Britain. And again, people were upset about the loss of capital. And you'll often see this in the news. You know, um, how, how much did this civil unrest cost businesses? And these are the things that we care about. Yeah. Well, we maybe, you know, when we say we, I mean as, as our society. But the key is, why are people looting? Because they've believed the false gods promise. They just don't know how to get there, yeah. right? What really matters is big screen TVs. I can't get access to big screen TVs. Well, I'm going to take me a big screen TV. Yeah, well, what if, we lied, what if we laid down that idea that our status comes with these possessions? That might at least help get us onto a better track and, and help us to understand how to distribute these aspects of abundance yeah well and that and that that's the other thing too is with profit often i mean i think that especially in our society we don't really think of oh profit isn't bad but when you kind of when you look down often to how like profit is being being used and it's sort of gaining off of the backs of other people is sort of that idea of yeah. profit it's it's more than what you need so that now there's excess there's there's you know you have to have there's extra so there is that there is that way in which when you are yeah when you're taking from folks like you said they you know they might be they might have to resort to stealing or that's where where they go with it but i would also not let us forget that price gouging and things like that i mean you are being a thief, yeah, taking stuff from other yeah. people. So the thief is also the person collecting the profit, not just the person who doesn't get a share of that profit trying to yeah. get what they need to survive or what they want. You were at the you were at the dentist the other day and you found a peculiar <laughs> charge that was not covered by your insurance. Ah, it's frustrating, yeah. So <laughs> I'm I haven't yet paid this bill because I, I went in three times because I had a couple different things. And, and so three times I have this $8 charge that the insurance refused to pay. And so now they're coming and billing it for me. And I, I'm looking and they, I don't know how they word it, but I realized what it is, is this like bleach water that, so it's a, an extreme mouthwash in a sense, cause it doesn't taste, yeah. and it clearly tastes like <laughs> yeah. just literally bleach and, water. bleach and water. And they are charging me $8 each, each time I take this little cup and I'm thinking that's white collar piracy. Yeah. Like I'm thinking, I don't, I, I know the cost of bleach and I know the cost of, of water right now. And somebody is making a ton of money and I don't know if it's the dentist and maybe it's not, maybe they're having to pay it to the company that, 
<laughs> you know, is creating this this solution. But whatever but there's it piracy is, somewhere along yeah, that line, yeah. And and that to me, it just it just feels so wrong. You know, it yeah. it it starts to really just wear at you when you when you look around and you see enough of this kind of stuff. There's another another thing where I was noticing and looking at uh, we have AAA insurance, and if you don't pay the policy up front, then they each time for the monthly payment, you get charged an interest rate. Well, that interest rate fluctuates based on your credit. And I thought about this. They're not, they're never going to pay the claim if you didn't make good on your monthly payment. So they're never going to be putting out money for you that you didn't pay your policy on. On top of that, you have to have insurance in order to have registration period. So you can't let that lapse. So that, that fluctuating in, 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 uh, you know, amount of interest that they're going to charge on this policy and I guess this insurance that they have yet to provide for you, but it's because you've entered into this contract for the year that I guess they get to collect on you for, mm-hmm. <laughs> by the way. Uh, it just is, it's disturbing because it's another example of if you're wealthy and you have great credit, that number is way down. It's expensive to be poor. It's expensive to be poor. You got to pay mortgage insurance if you're trying to buy a house. If you can't, you've got to move from place to place. You got to pay, you know, your deposits. And I and I think that the, these ways of profit are it's unjust and it is it's people are engaging in being thieves when they're when they're taking these kind of things. We've normalized this type of behavior. And I, now let's get even more political. If if you think that people's hour should be worth less than twelve dollars yeah. in today's economy, when chilaquiles are fifteen dollars, that means I gotta I gotta go work as a cashier for, a for an hour, and I still can't buy breakfast. Yeah, you know, I mean, costs are going up for food. I I looked into, I was looking at some of the prices of homes in rough neighborhoods, you know, impoverished neighborhoods. And in California, we're looking at $800,000. You can get a small condo, you know, down around here for 700,000. What the heck, who can afford that? Yeah. And and so the answer is, you gotta kind of be involved in something where there's some theft, some exploitation going on to have that much money. And, sorry if that makes you feel sad, but also, what also makes you feel sad or should make you feel sad, is that a lot of the college students that I'm seeing graduate, I have no conceivable way of thinking that they'll be able to buy a house. Yeah. I don't know what's I don't know what's up. Like this 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 economic not system yeah. not in California, but even in so-called inexpensive parts of California or or sometimes there's look, there's towns where people are moving. Yeah. You with know, California money. <laughs> with California <laughs> yeah. money, yeah. And Montana, the, and the Colorado, locals, the locals can't buy a house because right. they're making the income of that local area and it just doesn't support, you know, the increase in the values of the homes. Before we move on from this chapter, I do want to mention uh, in the part about says embrace naturalness. And the naturalness there is, you know, in the original um, often is like this idea, this image of this uncarved, block of wood or this natural piece of wood and we don't like using uncarved block because block is well, already block carved. Is already carved yeah <laughs> like so milled this a natural just piece of wood almost think driftwood yeah and something you could make something into one of the things with Lao Tzu that he talks about is once we start forming and shaping that 
wood, we are molding it into something. And that's where naming begins. And that's where we are creating something. That's where labels come into play. And so when you mention about even labeling a social justice warrior <laughs> as that, uh, there's also that other saying that says, once you label me, you negate me. You stop paying attention when you throw a label at somebody and you categorize them off into one thing. So I think with the idea of embrace naturalness is it sort of take all of these trappings and all these moldings of all of these things that kind of you're forced into these various different boxes or these different things. Take that out of the equation and come back to that, just that beautiful piece of natural wood that when you were born, <laughs> you were, right? Like yeah. without all of the, all of those expectations and posing labels and titles and everything that, we, <laughs> that we've put onto it. Yeah, and so and so as you do that, as you can get more natural, you also want to know that you're not always going to be entirely vulnerable to everybody or before everybody. So if we go to the top of chapter 57, when governing be straightforward. In other words, where you, when you're in a position of authority or power or leadership, it's great to be transparent, confident, mm -hmm. just be you. But there are times when you need to be aware of, of enemies trying to infiltrate you. Yeah, and you don't need to put all of your, your cards out on the table for yeah. them to see. It is not your duty to reveal everything that could be used against you to your enemies. So when you're outfoxing these enemies, specifically, in our case, you know, kind of cult leaders, manipulators, narcissists in your life, you got to be smart. You know, wise as serpent, harmless as doves, as Jesus would say or did say, uh, and then it moves on to this idea uh, when we're doing this, is you're, you're, you're managing the world by not trying to control it. You're not, you're not gonna try to control it, and this is so obvious that then you get that famous line that comes up from time to time in the Tao Te Ching, how do I know this? Like this. And there are some who might think this is saying, you know, in the words that follow, but I tend to like this idea of intuition. There's this intuitive obviousness to the Tao if we can get ourselves out of the way of the way. And when you do, it's, it's, um, kind, of a, it's kind of obvious that being restrictive and legalistic is not going to make people better. And I, I think that's true. I think, you know, um, I think we should be very concerned about the poor. I think that we should consider what, what it is that we pay a person for an hour of work and, and, and their conditions and how they're going to live in this world. On the other hand, excessive legalism and restrictions does not necessarily help it. It harms. And I'm thinking of Cuba when I went down there with, with uh, some folks and learned about how one guy was serving seven years in prison for selling chickens in the back of his house. He had little chicks, you know, uh, or somebody else had his restaurant shut down because he was selling lobster, Tr trying to have this heavy control by the state that was part of Castro's regime led to people eating the soles of their shoes and their cats. It was not good. They did not thrive. This movement of the people, the revolution. So there's a way in which you could get on board with these revolutionary concepts and emancipation of poor people around the world. But when this comes with legalism and more restrictive regimes, 
it always backfires. It's always worse than before. But that doesn't mean that you don't care for the poor. That doesn't mean that you just go the other way and say, yay, let's, let's just have unchecked capitalism and exploitation. That's not the answer either. It's naturalness. And naturalness is these human relations that we have. You baked me a cake, I got a chicken for you. Yeah. I got a haircut for you. <laughs> and I would argue, too, that, you know, if you are more legalistic and restrictive, the other thing is, is it, it, it keeps people from out-of-the-box thinking, which then could help with the advancement of society. Yeah. You know, it, it, you're, you are... Creativity. Right. Creativity is non-existent when you're, when you're feeling too restrictive. There's just, it doesn't, it can't flourish in that yeah. environment. Yeah, we've seen that in the Soviet Union or whatever sometimes, or, or uh, North Korea or whatever, where people are just so afraid of doing it wrong that they can't actually do something great. And they actually, when they're so nervous, they do mess up when mm-hmm. it comes to really big things mm-hmm. even, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not good. The, uh, I want to back up for a couple seconds. You've mentioned about an hour of work and, and the value of mm. that. One of the things that I find uh, incredibly disturbing is kind of looking sometimes into what sorts of jobs um, uh, make, you know, various amounts of money and very low on the totem pole, <laughs> you know, very low minimum wage is often caring for people when they are older, when they're sick, all your, your helping industries. Yeah. We don't, the administration seems to make all right money, mm-hmm. but the people that are actually doing the, the hands-on work and caring for the individuals, we think that that is kind of worth very little. We want to keep that really low. And I think when you, you know, kind of look at what sorts of payments do we attach to, like what sort of hourly wage is the norm for certain uh, certain jobs and positions? It kind of tells you where your values are as yeah. a society. Yeah. And so I think it And is, often it's not our loved ones, right? No. So you're talking to somebody about taking care of the existential and physical needs of their elderly mother who's going to die, and they're a little disappointed in more than $17 an hour. Yeah. Or I was looking into, you know, it'd be kind of fun on the side to be somebody who goes in and helps parents of autistic kids. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. The other, I wanted the to other do aspect. That. And I still may, but... Is children just yeah. in, in caring for our children in general? Think yeah. of preschools and kindergartens and and the helpers and teachers in those in in those jobs. They don't. There's not. There's not a lot of money in that, and yet these are our babies. Yeah, and I'm not casting shade at uh, at the parents because often they're already in a tough spot right. because they don't have two incomes because they might have to have, you know, one of the couple staying home uh, for just caring for the child. Uh, I just thought like the most delightful thing in the world would be to say, hey, I'd just like to, uh, you know, I want to get certified so I know what to do mm-hmm. in a proper way and help you have a, you know, help you get, you know, a night out. Right. And so now I still want to do that. Um, I just don't think <laughs> it could be my full-time job in any meaningful way as a semi-retirement because... Right. It has to be a labor you know, of love. Yeah. And it's and the same thing, you know, hey, if we got somebody cleaning, you know, grandma's bedpan out. And first of all, the dehumanizing end of many of our elderly people is one travesty. And the other is the dehumanization of the people who are treated like servants instead of caregivers in the deepest sense, uh, loving, tender caregivers that we would want to respect. You know, if I can pay $8 for Stacy to, to gargle some bleach, maybe we can pay $8 for a half hour of somebody's, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
changing out the, the bedpan. Well, I mean, that's what they do get probably is $8 for that half an hour if, you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but, I'm saying, but I'm saying people sometimes want to say, no, $15 is too much for these people. Oh, I see. You know, I don't want to have a minimum wage that goes up to $15. Yeah. Really? Yeah, Like, look somebody saying. in the eye and tell them that cleaning out somebody's diapers is, is worth less than 20 bucks. Yeah. An hour. And I think and I think sometimes too, the part of what does go into this is the idea of the federal government imposing this and so certain communities wages all all altogether are yes. less, right? And yeah. so if that is the problem because yeah, know, it's not the same as in California. In California, this chapter would say that. This yeah. chapter would say if you have too much restrictions, then it can it can create a problem, right? right. So like, well, now we have to close down the factory because we can't you know can't right. afford to have it here. But what this is though is when we talk about economics, it has to be a broader thing. So if you just kick the can over, and so now you're shutting down a, a plant in in Michigan that is now restarting up in Indonesia so that it can exploit people there, you're still exploiting. Yeah, well, and I would also say that one of the things that when we recently had Gustavo Ariano as a guest here at the college talking to the students, he talked yeah. about, you know, when you're looking at some of this food that you're eating and you're going to a restaurant and you're claiming that, oh my gosh, these prices are so high, look at, you know, really look at the quality uh, that you're getting and, and you're either going to get the fast food version where it's all on the backs of, you know, probably animals that aren't treated well and human beings that aren't getting, you know, a fair wage. Whereas if you go to a, a restaurant and maybe you have to pay 10 or $15 for a taco instead of one or $2, you know, what, what's going into their farming methods for the food that, they, that they're getting? Yeah. And are those farmers actually getting paid? What about the employees? Are they properly getting paid? The people that are preparing the food, all of the real cost of food, yeah. it's, it's either you're either going to pay it and enjoy that food, probably with less of a problem with your conscience, yeah. or or there is the thought of think of all of maybe uh, all of the things that have been harmed along the way yeah. in order to give you this cheap product, especially fact, the workers. Yeah, and he mentioned he said you know when he eats his meat, he prefers for that animal to have had just one really bad day. But the rest of them all great days. <laughs> and the rest are great. <laughs> I think I think I can go with that. Right. You know, although I am I am enjoying getting back on track now in the last couple of weeks <laughs> yeah. with a uh, uh, more plant heavy diet and it's been it's been great actually. Feels good. Um, losing a little bit of weight, you know, but, but and at you the didn't, same time. And you also didn't have a choice. Your body basically revolted <laughs> and said, yeah. you've got to nope. stop eating this stuff, you know, that's not good Apparently for you. Apparently also shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one, one, one more point I want to make, uh, back up to the part about when outfoxing enemies use cunning, mm -hmm. just because I think this does go along with uh, the outfoxing religious wolves part is if there is a religious wolf in your midst, and they have committed an actual crime, this is not a time where you want to then approach maybe that that leadership within that organization or that church or you know that religious wolf and their their people to let them know report the crime to the authorities right you know it's not don't don't let them start erasing information or, right. or covering up their tracks before you go report the crime to the police who need to hear what's going on. So if we're saying, how do we teach, how do we teach surfing the Tao? 
how do we teach organizations to be in accord with the DAO? Part of that is you can't let them see you coming. You can't call your shots if they're the bad guys. Yeah. Let's then let's then bring it to a head. Let's bring it to the conclusion with 57. This is really the takeaway. This is the big this is the big money right here in terms of understanding how to surf the DAO. The real key to being able to teach people to surf the DAO. As a sage once said, I surf the DAO and leave the people to wake up on their own. So I am going to demonstrate, model a certain way of life. I'm going to draw people to that way of life. I'm going to romance them into this healing and wonderful way of being. Wait, really quick. That reminds me. There was one time advice that we were given, and it was that you can't change people. And that was really hard for me to hear because I want, you know, I feel like, you know, that there's that piece of, of wanting to see positive change, right? And I think that there is, and that's kind of what this is saying here, and there's something to that advice and saying, model this behavior, become this, surf the doubt, let, you know, be an example, but you can't make people come along. No. You just can't. We have seen some little miracles. We have hoped in people, and, and I think this is important, never give up hope right. that somebody could be saved. Of course. That somebody could come to the light. But the fact is, I think we all need to reckon with this big, big issue, which is there are some institutions, some concepts, some constructs, some, some people in our lives that simply will not change. And that we're wasting our precious life energy trying to get them to be better. Sometimes you're going to have to just cut them off for a while. Right. Uh, and maybe forever. There may be people that have been given the opportunity. We talked about this earlier with the idea of sin against the Holy Spirit in our Protect Your Noggin with Jesus series last year, last season. But ultimately, there are some people who know darn well what's up. And they're not going to let go yeah. of their stuff their status, their glory, their money, and their power. And those people, you need to keep them, you know, keep an eye on them, keep them at arm's, uh, arm's length. What we really need to realize when we're talking about teaching the Tao is we need to teach those who are ready to learn and to empower them, to yeah. support them, to create a community of that new family of mutual support of people who love people and want to make a difference in the world. And... Sometimes that makes me sad, but we better figure it out sooner than later because I think we've wasted, I think in our lives we've wasted some time mm -hmm. barking up the wrong trees. Right. There are ample opportunities to help people who know the right thing to do but are disempowered or are suffering and can, and can be given a hand up uh, out of a hole and they would like a help. <laughs> There's some people that don't want any help. Yeah. And they're in their own living hell. And we can pray for them. We can continue to model those things for them. But we really ought to start with turning our attention to those who are ready to be a part of something better. And, I, and I'll also add, and again, that same thing is, is that you, you can't go and mold people into your own image. And so if, if they are also seeking out what is goodness, truth, and beauty, and they're embodying that, how the things that they will be involved in will be different from yours if they're... If, 
in some ways with the same you know, basic background behind it, but what the expression looks like. My talents are different than yours. You know, other people's talents are different. And so how, how whatever it is that they can use their gifts, the things that they can bring to that, that community of goodness, truth, and beauty, it will have different you know, different you know, hands and feet and, you know, looks to it. You know, it won't, it won't be one just same thing as, you know, I want to point out. Because again, if we're thinking that we're going to push people back into what this is what this looks like, then we've got, we've got it all wrong again. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it's really important uh, in this chapter when it says, when you see rules posted everywhere, it's a sure sign lawlessness is rampant. Yeah. And I want to point out that kind of some of the idea too is, once you start having this, you know, big rule book or whatever, people are going to look for where the loopholes are. Right. And so they're going to find a way to get around what the official rules are. And, if, and, and then we have to keep adding to that book and keep writing down, you know, what the new rule is. Right. Yeah. And then it becomes so much that it's really hard to probably yeah. even, you know, like make sure that everybody, you know, is... I don't know, like doing it all just too much to keep up with. And so I think that that's why, again, having those, the values internalized is far more effective than just coming up with a bunch of external trappings of what some of the stuff looks like. It'll just create people to find now <laughs> creative ways around You're it. not a bad person for putting up a sign, but may I make this suggestion? <laughs> Signs are always yelling mm -hmm. at me, especially yes. in the women's bathroom. All caps. And underline and triple exclamation point isn't more effective rhetorically. <laughs> Just go ahead and say, please flush the toilet. Be a nice person and please flush the toilet. You know? And I'm I, I, I'm but, envisioning Karen behind yeah. her desk. Karen Karen the loves sign. all caps, italics, bold, underline, triple exclamation point. Karen, it don't work. It <laughs> it's just not helping anything. In fact, people sometimes want to defy that. Yeah. <laughs> and um. And uh, but at, at, at the same time, that is the weird paradox here, because sometimes when we when we talk about it in America, we talk about racial justice, we talk about economic justice. There are times when this is going to involve laws and those laws are usually best when they are saying these kinds of exploitation cannot happen. Right. You can't have 13 year olds getting their hands cut off in, in sawmills. This is this is not to happen. And sometimes Americans have said no regulations whatsoever under any context. No, no, no. Right. What this is talking about, though, is tinkering, is trying to micromanage everything. It just doesn't work. As a government, as a person, as a boss, as a parent, you want to go with the way things are more natural. Right. But what's not natural is exploitation. What's not natural is when your employees are despairing of existence. Right. That's not helping anybody. Well, and that reminds me of that other uh, comment. I can't remember who made it, but somebody had said, you don't make a billion dollars, you take a billion dollars. So shall we move on with chapter 35? Hold fast to the big picture and all will be drawn to you. They will not harm you and will join with you in peace upon peace. There will be joyful music and vibrant street food. Wayfarer, wayfarers will want to stop and join in the fun. The Tao that is mere talk is bland. Look for it. It is invisible. Listen for it. It is inaudible. Yet if you embody it, you'll discover that it's inexhaustible. Yeah. 
this, mean, this doesn't need much comment. No, this, this, is a, one, this, is a great this one is sort of, it's just sort of the summary of kind of, I think, the whole thing. And holding fast to that, the, the big picture, what matters, what's important in life. And everybody knows of people that talk, <laughs> talk and, and they talk up all these all these things or whatever, but you know it's empty. I mean, unless that's how they're living. Think of anybody that has made an impact in your life. In any, like maybe, you know, think of a, a, maybe a, a teacher or, I don't know, a mentor of some kind a in your life. <laughs> yeah, I, don't go uh, I mean, it could, could be, you know, a, a pastor. Any, any leader in your life, though, that has actually made a difference in your life is probably somebody... It would ha- I would, it's somebody that actually lives their, their teaching or their, you know, they, they care. They are passionate about what it is that they're doing. And, and that has somehow left a mark on you. Yeah, their eloquence might be a, a reason why you got engaged with what they were doing in the first place. But you're right. It's, it's those people that are that inexhaustible well of healing, of goodness, truth, and beauty, stuff that is just flowing from them. It's infectious. It is something we've seen among high-standing and low-standing people. But often, it's these low-standing people that have a smile on their face. They don't have a lot, and they're talking about blessings. Mm. And when you can catch that, when you can see somebody who is content and understands the richness of existence and is not patient, however, with degrading poverty... Right. That's the kind of person that is our ally. That's the kind of person that is a friend of the Tao. And to teach that way, as we've said, as Lao Tzu, of course, is saying here, is to embody it. And that, friends, is where you find peace upon peace. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.